Welcome to the Baseball America College podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. Today it is April 27th. Joining me as always is Joe Healy. And today on the podcast, we uh, we had a plan and then we threw it out over the weekend because on Friday, the Cape Cod League announced that its season uh, for the summer had been canceled due to the ongoing coronavirus pandemic. So what we have today is going to be a largely Cape-centric show. Uh, the, the Cape Cod League, of course, is the premier college summer league. The list of players who went on to become superstars or who were just college stars is enormous. We are not even going to pretend to run through it. Um, it is a very significant development that the Cape is not going to play baseball this summer. Uh, it is not surprising, uh, but I find it to be very disappointing uh, that there will be no Cape season this summer. So we're going to get into that. We have Falm- longtime Falmouth uh, head coach Jeff Trundy is going to join us to talk about the cancellation and the Cape overall. Uh, and we will get to that in, in a couple minutes, but first Joe, uh, we are we are at the end of April, um, and uh, it's there's bright sunshine here in North Carolina. There's no baseball, but uh, we, we've got the sun. So how is uh, how is the life in, in the in the lockdown going? Pretty good. I mean, I, I mean, relatively speaking, of course. Um, the you mentioned the weather. That's been something I've been kind of focused more on. This is going to sound a little bit. Um, I'm not really sure how to describe it exactly, but it's something you would not have expected me to say prior to this. But one thing I've kind of tried to been focus, focusing on is that there is so much chaos and uncertainty and not just in sports, obviously in life really right now. And so one thing I have actually focused on quite a bit that kind of helps me feel a little bit better is thinking about weather and nature and how like that is relatively undeterred and actually is thriving in a way that it hasn't in a while because you know, we're not out polluting the air and doing the things we, we normally do. And that's not a political statement I'm making. That's just a fact. But so it, it, I've spent a lot of time thinking about that and how, you know, we're kind of focused on this health crisis and rightfully so, but nature just continues on and weather just continues on. And somehow I find that kind of calming in a way. And, you know. Um, so are you going to contribute to our technology uh, experts idea of starting a, a baseball America like bird list internally. So I like the idea of that. I don't know that I'll partake <laughs> and it's not because I don't want to necessarily. It's just that I don't really think, I don't know about you. I don't really think to take photos of things in moments very well. Now that now part of that, I will admit is because like, pictures have, are hard. I will also say that like getting a good picture of a bird. It's not sure. easy. Yeah. I don't, I don't doubt that. And I just don't have like the, um, the the I don't I don't feel overwhelming an overwhelming need to take pictures in a lot of in a lot of cases and I think maybe it's because you know I don't have a lot of reasons to day to day I I don't have kids I don't have a pet and those are you know two things that compel people understandably so to take photos in their day to day lives and so I don't have those things so I think that's part of it but that said I have been appreciating birds more uh, you know the, the, the hearing them and then seeing them and we've got my house here in Durham backs up against the woods. And so we do have some pretty good bird sightings. I couldn't tell you what they are or, you know, anything like that, but, but it has been pretty pleasant. So that's kind of what I found myself going back to, I've, you know, been taking walks daily and things like that, but really trying to take time to appreciate nature, which is something I will admit I've not done a great job of doing just in life in general. I'm, I'm typically someone who is, you know, moving whether in my head or just physically like, you know, I'm, I'm kind of fidgety. I kind of move from thing to thing. My mind is usually going hundred miles an hour thinking about things that are thinking through what I'm working on. And so I'm not usually a stop and smell the roses in this case, maybe literally type of person. Uh, but I'm more and more that as time goes on in this quarantine, because it's easier, I think, to focus on that than some of the, the chaos and, and tragedy and, and fear that that's just kind of swirling around otherwise. Well, the, uh, the Cape is actually a really good place for taking in nature. Uh, there are all kinds of like, like it's on a bird migratory path. Theoretically, you can see sharks if you're like in the right part. 
I try, I've tried, I've never like seen a shark, uh, which I suppose most people would say is a good thing, but like, I don't know, I want to see the great white shark off the coast of Chatham. Um, and uh, yeah, th th there's just a lot of serenity up there. And maybe that's part of the reason why I like it so much. It's just like after a very long spring season, you get to go up to Cape Cod and everything is just, it's a much, it's a very relaxed environment. People still care about winning games up there, but it's, uh, it's, it's not like it has been in, in June and in May when everyone's fighting uh, for their, their postseason lives and, and the national championship. You get up there and it's like, okay, like life's a little more, a little more relaxed and you know, all that matters is the game that's going on right in front of you. And so I, I really have enjoyed being able to go up to the Cape and see the baseball there for the last five or so years. And I'm, I'm very much going to miss it this summer. So that's part of the reason why we're, we're taking the time here on the podcast to talk about it, but it also is just um, an outstanding area for player development. There are a lot of guys getting a lot of at-bats, a lot of innings up there that, you know, need to make them up because they were injured or didn't play as much or just need to work on something. Uh, or just flat out need and want the reps. Uh, so it's very good at that. And, you know, because it's the best college players in the country, it's a very good measuring stick for a lot of guys. And it, uh, you know, it guys go up there and talk about facing Friday night arms every night. And, you know, you can find no shortage of players who have said that over the years. And if you ask even, you know, just like half a dozen guys, at, at any given game, like somebody might, might offer that line to you. And it's not like the hard truth anymore. The pitching in the Cape has at times deteriorated uh, for a variety of reasons, mostly because we're protecting arms a lot more and we're not having uh, kids throw 150, 200 innings in, in a season. Uh, but it, it still is a high level, high, high, high level of competition. And especially for uh, scouts, it's a it's a fantastic environment to, to see the kids in, not only because of the competition, but because everyone's using wood bats, uh, which levels the playing field a little bit, and and that's what they're going to do in pro ball. So it's a it's just an important time, all around, just for for everyone, both for player development, uh, and that obviously feeds uh, the the college game, and also for the scouting side of it. Uh, you know, this is where the next year's draft boards really start taking shape and what you do on the Cape can really kind of make you in terms of, of a draft prospect. So it's a, it's a big event all summer long. And, and it's, uh, you know, it, it's really unfortunate that, that we're not going to get it this year. Um, you know, I think everyone involved understands why that's happening, but it's uh it is going to be a missed from, from the baseball calendar. So that, that's why we're taking this time today. That's why we're bringing on Jeff Trendy to talk about it. Um, coach Trendy has, like I said, he's been uh, at the Falmouth head coach for a long, long time and has had a ton of success up there, although he does not have a title. Um, we, we, we won't get into that with him on the podcast. He has not won a championship on the Cape, but they've had some fantastic players and some fantastic seasons uh, you know, in Falmouth over the last two decades. So with that, let's get to Jeff Trundy, Falmouth Commodores head coach. Today on the Baseball America College podcast, we're very excited to be joined by Jeff Trundy, the longtime Falmouth Commodores skipper, uh, Coach, it's uh, kind of an unfortunate circumstance to have you on now with the Cape season just having been canceled, but we're happy to be able to, to talk with you in, in this uh, unusual time in, in baseball. Glad to be here. So the, the news came out on Friday that the decision had been made to cancel the season. It was not unexpected, but it was still very disappointing nonetheless. Just what were your thoughts when uh, when the decision was made, or when you found out that that, that was going to be what happened? Um, I think that's well said, right there, Teddy. You know, I, I think a lot of us expected it. Um, you know, I think we still had hope, but we expected it, and we knew uh, the virus had 
had been in Massachusetts and Boston and the Cape and had, you know, the Cape was getting hit pretty hard. And, um, but even though we expected it, it's still, I found to be quite painful and quite numbing, to be honest. It was almost just kind of like a shock at first. And, um, and then, you know, since then, uh, obviously it's been on our mind and, um, you know, so many people are disappointed, but it was the right decision to make to protect everybody that was involved. And there was a, a lot of um, agonizing decision-making that went into the process. But uh, like I said, I think we had to protect the health of everyone. One of the things that's kind of come of this is that over the weekend on social media, there were a lot of individuals posting pictures from the Cape, pictures they had taken, their memories of the Cape. And there's such a community around that. And I'm curious what, what you're going to miss most when you think about the fact that there's not going to be a Cape season this year, what are the types of things that come to mind that you're going to miss most of all? Well, my first thought went to people. Uh, I've always said the Cape is about people and um, you know, so I'm going to miss the people that I saw, you know, I see on a regular basis down there every single summer. And uh, you know, the people that are volunteers, people that work with our team through the league uh, and obviously, I'm going to miss the kids. Um, you know, I, I feel so bad that the kids lost out on this opportunity. But, uh, you know, I'm going to miss them to no end and see them being able to to have fun and develop as a team and and do the things that, you know, customarily you, you're able to witness each summer. Um, but I'm just going to miss the people um, a great deal. You uh you talk about missing the people. You've been doing this for more than 20 years, I guess, 20 years as Falmouth head coach and more than 25 now as, uh, just as being a part of the, the Cape. What is it that, that makes that league so special and, and keeps you wanting to, to go back year after year? Well, once again, Teddy, I think it always goes back to the people. I mean, it's a beautiful area. Um, you know, it's a great a great location to have what we have was so fortunate. Uh, you know, you have 10 teams in a, in a small space that obviously is a very uh, attractive area. Uh, you know, it's great in the summer. It never gets too hot. <laughs> uh, you know, the kids, I think, are always surprised at how packed the teams are together. But it always comes down again to, you know, uh, the people that make it special. Um, you know, a lot of those people, like like you said, I've been in the league for 25 years, and a lot of those people I've known for 25 years, and some of the people that have even left the league, they'll always drop by and come by each summer to say hi. Uh, you know, I've made so many special friends, and, uh, you know, it means so much to me, uh, the relationships that I've been able to form uh, just by being able to be a part of the Cape League. Before we went on air here, you were telling us about you had Mark Hamilton, who was uh, people remember maybe as a slugger for Tulane, and you had him during his Cape summer. And there was a story recently in the St. Louis Post Dispatch about how he has now transitioned to becoming he's a doctor now, and he he's basically on the front lines of this thing in in New York City. Tell us a little bit about Mark Hamilton, the player and the person, as you got to know him coaching him in the summer. Uh, Mark was with us in 2004 and 2005, and. Uh, Wonderful kid, uh, just loved to play, loved to be around people. You know, he played first and, uh, you know, was an outstanding hitter. Uh, and one of the things that always was, was great about Mark was his ability to be able to just carry on a conversation with everyone. He just loved being around people. We always kind of joke about when someone got on first, we, we always took note of watching Mark talk to them. <laughs> it was just part of his makeup and, and we loved it. And, uh, but it was apparent even back then as a, as a player, he had a great care and a great concern about people. So for him to go into medicine after he got out of professional baseball, um, you know, is, is probably very appropriate. I know his family was in medicine and he's kind of following in their, fit, in their footsteps. And, uh, but he got thrown right into the fire, uh, you know, so he's in the middle of New York City and, um, you know, obviously one of the worst areas in the country. And, um, you know, but I'm sure Mark is doing exactly what he wants to do in helping people. And at this point in, in the spring, we would be, I guess, maybe we're, we're six weeks away from what should have been the Cape opening day. What, um, what would you normally be doing around this time to, to get ready for the summer? And, and, and kind of when did you 
start scaling back those efforts this year, realizing that, that maybe it wasn't going to happen? Well, people always kid me about how I follow box scores. It's just kind of a, I'm a fanatic at following box scores and, you know, following the kids that we're going to have or kids that we have had. Um, you know, you form such great relationships with these kids through a couple of months. So it's fun to be able to to follow the past players and you look forward to, to the kids that you're going to have and you follow them. And, uh, you know, so it was, it was kind of a letdown, obviously, uh, you know, when the college season was, was canceled and uh, you know, that took that away. And, but we still had hopes at that point. I'm sure everybody in the league did that, you know, our see our season would go on. Um, but then with each passing day and week, um, you know, it became a little bit more, I think, of a of a problem that that we might face, uh, especially with the host family situation and everything with kids coming in from all over the country, that the idea of us being able to have a season became more and more less likely. Um, so, you know, I don't know if you ever really scale back in your mind. I think you're always kind of looking forward to the Cape, whether it be you know, this summer and, you know, I'm already looking forward to next summer, you know, to be able to get back with, like I said, being around the people that, that, uh, you know, I have so much fun with and, and are just great, great friends. Um, but, you know, it, it was a letdown to have college baseball, which has been one of my loves and one of my passions to be able to follow it and just, uh, you know, have the, the admiration of the athletes that I do that I'm able to be around, have that taken away even in the middle of March and then uh, not be able to do it this summer and be around those young men is, is, is hard. And I'm sure all the other uh, people in the league, the volunteers and the host families and everybody feels the same way. Your note on, on looking forward to next summer is, is actually a nice positive segue maybe to talking about a little more positive thing and talk about some of the players, you know, you've coached recently. And I wanted to ask you about, two guys who are two of the, the hotter pitching prospects on the college side. And that's Carmen Majinski and who had a great summer with you last year. And then Sam Weatherly, who came out really hot for Clemson this spring before the season ended. What stands out about you to those two, or what stands out to you about those two guys? Well, great people, <laughs> great young men, um, obviously very talented, um, you know, but I think Carmen came in, uh, you know, he broke his foot last spring early in the early in the season. And uh, so he didn't get a lot of innings in the spring. So uh, that probably actually helped our chances of being able to have Carmen last summer. And, uh, you know, he came in, I think, uh, just really, really pumped to have a great summer because he hadn't pitched. And, uh, you know, I was really impressed with his professionalism, the way he went about his routine. Uh, you know, he wanted to con consistently get better. He worked closely with our pitching coach, Mike Landry, and and they really formed a great bond. And, uh, you know, Mike does a great job. And and Carmen, uh, you know, they looked at some video together, and he had a an outing or two early in the summer, and then it was just like he just took off and uh, pitched with great confidence and really competed. And you know, was obviously one of the best arms in the league. Um, you know, and he was once again, uh, a kid that competed and a kid that really wanted to do well and prepared well between starts, but also a great teammate. Um, you know, and I think, I think some of the other guys that for instance, were freshman arms looked up to him and, uh, he became a great role model for them. Uh, Sam, you know, Sam came in and had a little bit of trouble in the spring, uh, was a little erratic with his command and probably was, was not the most confident kid in the world when we got him in the first part of the summer. But with each outing, you could kind of see his confidence grow. And, and uh, you know, I thought by the end of the summer, we used him out of the bullpen. And I thought by the end of the summer, you could kind of start to see flashes and moments of, of how good Sam really is. Um, you know, and he obviously carried that into the fall and and by, you know, this spring, you know, he was one of the dominant left-handers in college baseball. Uh, you know, what was interesting was when he and Carmen matched up and, uh, you know, Sam got the best of Carmen in that particular outing. So uh, that had to be fun for them both. And I'm sure they really, uh, you know, look back on that fondly now. But, uh, you know, those are two kids that are 
like I said, great young men first and foremost, and they got a great career in front of them. Now, I know you and I have talked about this before, but I, you have some Adley Rutschman uh, experience stories, uh, you know, from, from your summer with him. And uh, he's just such a fantastic player and fantastic person. And you guys have had, you know, several Oregon State players over the years. But what what is it about, about Adley that kind of uh, – stands out to, to you and, and that you remember the most now when you look back at, at your summer with him? He's just such a leader, you know, just an outstanding leader. Once again, obviously a very talented kid. I mean, uh, you know, I mean, he struggled offensively with us, but it was once again, uh, those struggles made him better. And, uh, you know, he, he found out, I think, the things that he really needed to work on to become a better player and, and a better hitter. And, uh, and he did that. Uh, you know, he's a very determined young man. And, uh, but the thing that jumped out to me the most, Teddy, was, was his, like I said, his ability to lead. Uh, you know, pitches just love throwing to him. Uh, I think he has that instinct and in being able to know what a pitcher needs. You know, does he need a little bit of consoling or does he need a, a little bit of, uh, you know, <laughs> someone to kind of get him going in another direction. Um, but, one of the things that stood out to me right off the bat, I think we were playing at Chatham, one of the first games that Adley caught. And, you know, he jogs out to the plate to, uh, to catch in the bottom of the first inning. And the first thing he does is he goes over and shakes the umpire's hand and introduces himself and, uh, you know, then gets ready to go to work. And I don't know why, but I just always remembered that moment about Adley. You know, that's who he is. You know, he's, He's a gentleman, yet a competitor at the same time, and he just leads uh, just extremely, extremely well. Obviously, it's unfortunate that it's come to this, but um, your summer has opened up a little bit now, I suppose. And I'm curious what the summer looks like, you know, for you moving forward, both in a serious way, but also just kind of in terms of how you're going to fill your time and to be throw yourself into kind of really preparing for next summer or are, are you kind of not trying to knock out the uh, home improvements checklist? I'm kind of curious what the summer for uh, Jeff Trundy looks like coming up. Well, I think it's going to be a little bit of everything, Joe. I mean, I think that's a great question. I think it's, uh, you know, uh, home improvement. Yes, that will be on the list. And I you know my, my wife, Patty has, has long remarked that it would be nice if I was able to get a little bit more done in the summer in that regard, even though she's, one of my strongest supporters of me being able to be uh, being able to do the Cape. But uh, so that's certainly part of the checklist, but uh, you know, I, I hope baseball comes back in some way, uh, you know, so that we can all be able to watch it. This is a kind of an unreal situation right now. It's not like we're just not uh, coaching. It's like, there's no baseball going on. Uh, but, you know, we'll talk. I mean, I, I'm in constant contact with our assistant coaches. We have a great staff. We have a great general manager, Chris Fitzgerald. And, uh, you know, our, it's just they're friends, you know. And so we'll stay in touch. And we, we already have. And we're already talking about, uh, you know, plans for 2021. You know, what can we do to, to hopefully get a good collection of young men again, to, you know, that will want to be able to, to become a team and have respect for one another and, and – uh, you know, first and foremost, uh, have a blast. <laughs> you know, that's one of our goals each summer is to, is to have kids uh, feel like it's been the summer of their lives. And, and uh, you know, that's what we look forward to right now for next year. Uh, yes, it's sad, and, and uh, we're disappointed that we couldn't have uh, those kids come and, and uh, being able to have them have the experience. But, uh, you know, now I think we're starting to look forward to uh, – what 2021 will hold. Yeah, I, I'm excited for 2021. I mean, obviously just because getting back to the Cape is, is good, but you know, it, one thing that I, I feel gets overlooked in, in the Cape because so much attention is rightly on the players, but the, the whole thing is a volunteer organization. And I'm sure that you know, everyone there that work, that's involved loves the Cape and the experience just so much that I, I have to imagine it being away for a year is going to kind of redouble everyone's desire to, to make everything as good as it can be. So I'm excited to see what you guys come up with and what everyone around the league comes up with in that regard. 
I, I think that's such a valid point. Um, you know, I, I know I've thought and I know we've talked about, you know, our coaches and, and other people that I've talked with, you know, how thankful we're going to be next year. We're always thankful. You know, I, at least I'd like to think we are, you know, we're always appreciative of the fact of the opportunity that we're presented each summer down there to be able to do what we do. But uh, next summer, it's going to be magnified, you know, exponentially because, uh, you know, I think with everything, you know, once you lose something that you love and, and you're able to get it back, uh, you know, it just makes you, makes you appreciate it that much more. So there's certainly going to be that heightened feeling of, uh, you know, appreciation next summer. And, uh, and what you alluded to earlier in the, in the question, you know, or the statement was, was certainly uh, really important. Now, the volunteers and all the people that work tirelessly and work 365 days a year to make this possible. And I'm, I'm sure they're heartbroken that this season is not going to go on. But, uh, you know, and I, and I feel for them because they make the league possible. Our host families, have, you know, without them, we don't have a league. Uh, and without people, uh, you know, directing, uh, you know, everything from fundraising to, uh, you know, how we're going to do this or that to be able to, to keep our organization afloat, uh, you know, they just make everything possible and, uh, but they do it. it it's a, it's a love, you know, they, it's a passion that they have and they love being around the kids and the kids love being around them. By the time they get there, they understand. I think by the time they leave, uh, you know, what it really takes to, to be able to put them on the field. So, so I feel bad for those people as well. And, uh, but they will be really excited for next year. Well, I'm really going to miss going up there this year. I know you will too. Uh, hopefully we, we can get back to it in, in 2021. Like we, we talked about there with, uh, with renewed vigor and, and everything, but we, uh, we really appreciate you taking the time to, to join us here today and, and, and talk about the Cape and uh, you know, what is a, a disappointing time, like we said, but uh, you know, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll hope that the league comes back stronger than ever next year. Well, I have no doubt of that. And uh, Teddy and Joseph, thanks so much for having me on. And, you know, it's, it's uh, like I said, um, nice to be able to talk about the Cape uh, and, and talk about baseball. And, and I know Teddy, we get the opportunity to see each other each summer. And I'll certainly look forward to that in 2021. Absolutely. Can't wait for that one. Likewise. Thanks again to Coach Trundy for joining us here on the Baseball America College podcast. Joe, uh, you know, I've talked already a lot and I probably will continue to do so throughout the podcast about how disappointed I am that the Cape season is being canceled. But what are your thoughts, um, you know, having heard from, from Coach Trundy and having you know, seeing what we've seen from the league office about the, the Cape pulling the plug on the season. Yeah, I have, um, I don't have the, the Cape experience you do. I've not been, uh, obviously I'm very aware of it, but I, I kind of had an interesting relationship coming up through, you know, following college baseball when I was a kid with the Cape and that, you know, I, I heard about the Cape, I knew about the Cape. And I remember when I was following college baseball in the spring, whenever they described someone as having gone to the Cape, there was kind of like this glow in my mind around the player, like, oh, he was the Cape. That must mean, you know, he, and, and you realize later that, yes, for most guys, that means, hey, this is a guy who we think is really at, at, at this high level um, from either from a, just a production standpoint or, or more likely from a prospect standpoint. And, but that you realize it's a little more complicated than that. And, you know, there's some players there for a little bit and some players there for the full season and there's different reasons why players are there and, and so on and so forth. So, but the other thing was, I remember you mentioned, you can kind of make yourself as a prospect in, in the Cape. And, and I, I remember you getting frustrated with, with that sometimes that, you know, players that really had kind of made their name on the Cape and, uh, but hadn't done it in the springtime yet and kind of, um, you know, thinking it was not really understanding it because I didn't understand the Cape the same way that I do now. So it has always kind of um, occupied this, this, you know, interesting place for me where I felt a couple of, of different ways about it. And I'm with you now, I'm now having a more nuanced view of that and having, having done what, what I do now for a while, um, really enjoying uh, just from afar with what the Cape does. And so I'm disappointed like you, and, you know, you could obviously hear it in, in, in Jeff Trumby's voice there in the interview, his disappointment there. And, and he mentioned that, you know, there was, they were holding out hope, but it, it kind of seemed 
inevitable. And, and I think, I think that kind of echoes largely uh, the baseball community, at least on the college side, kind of how things have gone. Um, obviously the, the, the actual season was, was scuttled very quickly, but initially there was optimism about playing summer ball, even if that optimism was maybe optimism for optimism's sake, if you will. And, and there are still some optimism in other corners of summer ball. And we'll, we'll talk about that as we go on. But um, so in a, in a way that it's disheartening that we've arrived at this place where the Cape league gets, gets canceled. I think it kind of speaks to a larger point about this kind of, I think anxiety and disappointment we're feeling as, as a baseball and sporting community that here we are and, and weeks continue to go by and it still feels like we're spinning our wheels a little bit with being able to get back on track, whether that's just from a public health standpoint um, or from a, from a sports standpoint, more specific to our discussion here. So um, I'm not saying he was necessarily speaking to that when, when he was answering the question, but um, I was thinking about that as he was answering and, and he was obviously quite disappointed, kind of saw this coming. Um, and even still just, just um, you know, uh, the way he spoke about, about what it means to him, you, you can tell where that his disappointment is coming from just a deep, deep place of appreciation and love of this thing, the Cape Cod League. Yeah, it's, uh, the, the people up there, like I said during the interview, it, they're volunteers and to give as much of their time as they do to this, like you have to really love it. And it, they, that makes the Cape a little different from other summer leagues. There are a lot of summer leagues that are more professional than the Cape and, you know, Honestly, I'm not even sure how many are following the Cape volunteer model. It's far more common that they're running them as small businesses than that they're running them as nonprofits. Uh, and, and to me, that also like adds to the, you know, I, college sports gets itself in trouble when we start talking about like the purity of the game and stuff. But like you go up there and it really is like they're playing on high school fields. They're like it's, it, 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 there's no environment that's like it in, in college baseball anyway, and probably in college sports overall, that like you can have these elite, elite, elite players that, you know, are just coming out, out of Omaha or that you're used to watching Duty Noble or Swayze in front of eight, nine, 10,000 10, fans. And now they're playing on, like essentially a high school field it's a it's a good high school field but like you can also go find better high school fields in georgia and texas um or california uh and it's like a lot of families on picnic blankets or just like in wood bleachers lining the stands and like it's you know it's it's just so unlike what what we see at the highest level of college baseball, but here are the best players and they're all doing this and they're loving it. And I, I think that that's why the league, part of why the, the league has the charm that it does. And, you know, so to, to have that, you know, as your backdrop, you have to love this to, to be involved in this. And so for everyone on the Cape, you know, I think this is going to be a, a big, miss uh you know or a big big missing piece of their life this summer for the players obviously this is the worst um you know the everyone involved in the league will probably be back in 2021 um but the the players are going to miss out on that opportunity and you know that means lost development time and lost scouting looks and you know for some players that's just absolutely brutal you know we didn't talk about him with, with Jeff Trundy, uh, but last year he had the Cape batting champion um, in Zach Deloach. And Zach Deloach struggled at AM for the first two years of his college career and then went to the Cape, won the batting title, and kind of, you know, it, it was an explosion that everyone had been waiting for. And, you know, that breakthrough that happened up there probably happened in part because he was up there. And also because that's where it happened, it means that all kinds of scouts and important executive types, not just area scouts, but their bosses and their bosses' bosses, saw him and probably think of him in a different way. Think about Nick Gonzalez, who last year 
was the Cape Cod League MVP, you, I, and we've talked about this on the podcast before, both Joe and I, still at the end of last season, last spring, looked at Nick Gonzalez a little bit like, okay, but altitude, like whack, are, are we sure? Like, is this, is this for real? And then he goes up to the Cape and produces an MVP season, hits seven homers. Like, um, I think he finished like third in the batting race. He did all of that. He wins a title. And now you're, it, it really hammers the point home. Like, no, like whatever you're thinking about, you know, small conference, hitting at altitude, whatever it is that you're wondering about Nick Gonzalez, you can stop wondering that. He just did what he did on the Cape. And so players like that this season are not going to get that opportunity. And, you know, you also just miss out on the opportunity of having an outstanding summer. Jeff Trinity touched on it briefly uh, that they really try and make it the best summer of, you know, a player's life. Not every Cape team is quite as focused on that as, as, they, as others, but they all are looking at that in some way that they want to make it a really great experience for the kids. You know, they have their annual workout at Fenway. They do a ton of stuff for them. Like there are a lot of opportunities that they get through this and, you know, all of that is just lost. You know, the, the players that are going to break out, maybe they'll break out in the spring anyway. Scouts will find them. But, you know, there, it, it is just a, an experience in college baseball that many, many people will tell you that, like, it's really worth having. Like, you definitely want to go up there. You want to do it if you can. And now these kids, uh, you know, won't necessarily have that opportunity this summer. That extends, by the way, to individuals beyond the players. It is also uh, an experience for college kids who are interested in broadcasting, are interested in social media, interested in writing things like that. I mean, the Cape Cod League ends up hiring um, interns from from colleges to come do those jobs on the Cape. And there's a great piece um, in The Ringer by Brian Curtis, who does media criticism there, and about the Cape Cod League as some kind of finishing school for broadcasters uh, who are, you know, high-quality high college student broadcasters who want to do that professionally. And, and using the Cape Cod League as kind of um, like a last step to make before they go off into the professional world and do that. And there's a pretty decent chance that if you are a fan of a, of a minor league baseball team or, um, you know, an independent league team or what have you, that, that your broadcaster in college either went through the Cape or really wanted to go through the Cape and didn't get the opportunity because it is highly sought after jobs. And those kids, um, many of whom I saw, you know, tweeting about getting to go just a couple of weeks ago, you know, they were being retweeted by the Cape team accounts and the, the general Cape account. That wasn't that long ago. Those kids, you know, got word they were going and were excited about going and were holding out hope. And, and those are lost opportunities because those kids, um, you know, many of them may be in different circumstances next year. Many of them are, maybe, you know, perhaps graduating, moving on to something else. Just there's all kinds of things that, that won't allow that same group of kids to come back in 2021. So you can, you can pour one out as well for, for those lost opportunities beyond the field. Um, and I think the larger point too, that, that I was thinking about as, as you were talking was, I think it speaks to how important the Cape Cod league is to college baseball and really just to new England, I think as a whole, by the fact that one, you have a great book. If you have not read the last best league, I read it uh, when I was in high school, I think, and, and was really taken by it. That stuck with me. And also the, the fact you have a legitimate, you know, Hollywood, big budget movie in summer catch that essentially is set on the Cape Cod league. And it's kind of got some campy quality to it. Like it's a, it's kind of a cult classic is maybe a little strong, but it definitely has a cult following, but there are legitimate movie stars in that movie. It wasn't some sort of small budget thing. And the fact that this niche college baseball, new England thing was, was right. A ripe setting for a Hollywood film says a lot about, the space it occupies, not just in that world, but kind of for a certain subset of people who maybe are from the Northeast, who maybe were in or around baseball, or, or just are kind of interested in, in the Cape Cod League as, as the development of the future stars of, of professional baseball. So I think that those things there speak to just how big a deal this is beyond our little corner of the world. Yeah, absolutely. I have not seen Summer Catch. Have you seen Summer Catch? 
I've seen Summer Catch. I actually saw it when it came out. I think I was about the right age when it came out to be seeing those types of movies. Like I'm sure me and a friend of mine like tried to, you know, I actually remember the friend, the friend I saw it with was a guy I was playing baseball with at the time. And we probably, um, you know, uh, texted or called. I don't even remember what the technology was that time, but texted or called a couple of couple of girls to see if they wanted to go and they probably said no and so it was just he and I at the, at the theater to see Summer Catch but I actually it's one of those movies where I have a, a very vivid memory of kind of the time and place of when I saw it and like I said I think I was probably just the right age for it at the time uh, but I saw it again two or three years ago and I thought it held up pretty well like I thought maybe I was remembering it kind of under this uh, just kind of through the filter of you know, you see some movies just at the right time in life. I feel this way on a, on a very uh, off-topic note. I feel the same way about Mean Girls, the movie. Like, I was about the age... Oh, no, that holds up. I, I No, I totally agree. But I, I feared with Mean Girls because I was the age of the characters in Mean Girls when Mean Girls came out. So I feel like for a long time, I felt like maybe that wouldn't hold up, and it did. I feel the same way about Summer Catch. Obviously, I was not the age of the, you know, the, the players and the people in that story at that time but it just resonated with me in such a way that I thought that maybe that would be the case. But I saw it a couple of years ago and I was happy to report that it, it mostly held up. You have to understand what you're getting into with it. I mean, it is kind of campy in some ways. Um, it is more of a teen movie than it is like a baseball movie. Although there is some interesting baseball stuff in there. Um, so there is that aspect to it, but it really is more of a teen movie than it is a, a baseball movie or a, a comedy or anything like that. Yeah, I might have to rent that. I'm not going to do it like right now because uh, the pain of missing the Cape Cod League is real right now. But at some point, maybe I'll I'll, uh, I'll have to go grab that off of Amazon Prime. Yeah, I, I, don't, I, think actually, you'll, I don't think you'll regret it. Uh, you know, again, it, you're not going to come away thinking it's, you know, Citizen Kane, but like, it's, uh, <laughs> but it's, but it, it's fun. It's a fun movie. I actually kind of like in high school, I read the book Slider which is a novel um the uh the, the the more famous book about like that you mentioned the last big league like that's a nonfiction book where jim collins um you know followed the the chatham anglers i don't know why everything takes place in chatham summer catch also takes place in chatham uh he followed them for for summer and, and then wrote about it slider is a novel that actually ostensibly doesn't take place in the cape cod league but is clearly about the cape cod league and that was kind of how i um you know really came to you know I, i'd heard about it before uh but that was that was more of a, a deeper introduction to the league even in a fictionalized environment um so yeah it's it is it does hold this place in baseball culture and in broader culture that, you know, it, it just has such a significant impact. And part of that is because the league is so old. It's not, you know, some of these summer leagues are pretty new. Um, I, not even just the leagues that pop up every year, but like if you look at some of the start dates on, on some pretty good summer leagues around the country, they're relatively new. The Cape date draws its its roots all the way back to the 19th century. It's a little misleading. They haven't been playing every year since 1885. Um, they have been playing every year, though, since World War II ended. And this is going to be the first year since the end of World War II where there is no Cape Cod League. And that is, uh, that is remarkable and just a reminder of how strange the times that we are living in are. But you can also understand this decision from a purely public health standpoint, um, even if things start to get back to the normal, the Cape is not like it is the Cape. And by that, I mean, Cape Cod is like a 90 minute drive away from Boston. There you know, are things there like hospitals, but there aren't many of them. And it's certainly not equipped to handle uh, the influx of tourists that it gets every summer, I would guess. And so if, you know, you're looking at strained infrastructure, that's never a good idea or never a good thing. And then you also have to consider that the players all are living with host families in the Cape Cod League and finding host families is always a big undertaking for, for the teams. And then trying to do it in this specific year, I imagine was going to be even tougher. 
finding you know enough families who are willing to take in players who are coming from all over the country uh you know coming into your home and living for a summer is uh it's a difficult ask i would think at this time i that's not like the entirety of why things got called off here but it is an important consideration beyond just the the straight up straight up and down baseball stuff and, and testing or whatever like there's a lot of of stuff that is kind of unique to where they are. Um, and, you know, one of the great joys of the Cape is that you are removed from the big city and, and everything, but it also does have certain drawbacks. And I think those are kind of exposed a little bit in a time like this. Yeah, he brought up a good point that I hadn't thought about. I mean, when I've thought about the Cape and whether or not they were going to play, this is thinking back several weeks. and. I always was focused on, well, they, you know, they, they draw pretty good crowds out there and the crowds are usually pretty close together sitting in lawn chairs or on blankets. And, you know, you've got, you know, the players kind of hanging out together in, in fairly compi- confined spaces. I hadn't really considered the idea that, you know, we're going to ask regular folks who either live full time on the Cape or come, you know, to the Cape for the summer to house players from all four corners of the country and just kind of be okay with that. Um, and that, that, that was kind of a logistical issue that I hadn't really considered. I, I thought the host family issue was going to be more like, do these host families, you know, maybe some of whom, some of whom live in more rural areas, just in their day-to-day lives, suddenly the Cape becomes a little busier that time of year. Do, would they want to come to the Cape for that reason? I hadn't really thought about, oh, we're, we're just going to introduce someone new to your life for the entire summer who came from somewhere else are you okay with that? It was a logistical hurdle that I had not previously considered. Yeah. And it's, that one is not unique to the Cape. I think there are some leagues around the country that make more use of, you know, some dorms or some hotels. Uh, A lot of summer leagues rely on host families though. And so this, this one is not going to be a uniquely Cape issue. I have heard when I was reporting on the state of, of summer, like where, where they were about a month ago, where, where the summer leagues were in terms of planning, that there were a lot of places that were trying to focus a little more on local players. So they didn't need as many host families. Um, that is not something that can be pulled off on the Cape for, again, a variety of reasons, starting with the number of people that just live on the Cape normally. Uh, and how condensed that league is, and then finishing up with the fact that they're trying to pull the best players around the country rather than just pull players. Like it's they, they they need to be pulling players from everywhere. They can't just say, "We'll just pull players from Massachusetts." So you know that that's that might be a viable strategy in some places. It's not one on the Cape. So we'll we'll see where some other leagues go with this. We have seen. Uh, the Valley League has also been canceled. A couple leagues have like formally pushed their opening day back to July 1. Um, the Northwoods League, which is pretty widely regarded as the second best league, has not, I don't think, really announced much of anything except that Wisconsin, where several of their franchises are based, has a stay-at-home order in place up until May 26, uh, which coincides with the uh, the Northwoods League's uh, scheduled opening day. So they're trying to figure figure that out. Um, so we'll we'll continue to look at what happens with summer ball. If the Cape is calling it quits, you know I, I've seen a lot of people wondering what this means for other leagues, like is the Cape being a leader here and other leagues will follow. And to that, I would say it might make it easier on some other leagues to cancel, but also because the Cape is not running a small business, it's running a, uh, you know, like, like I said, it's nonprofit. They might be more, it might be easier for them to say we're not having a season than it would be for a league that is running it as a business to say we're not having a season because if they, if a league like that says it, there are probably teams that can't survive and the league itself is going to potentially have some very serious issues. I I don't know all of the economics of all of this, um, 
but if you're a if you're a league that that is looking at it more as a business you're going to probably be very much trying not to uh cancel something but until you absolutely have to yeah i mean you can um, see the the temptation too with with leagues given that the cape has canceled there's a temptation now if you're a league in a more advantageous geographic location let's say in I'm using this example for the ease of the example, not because I, we have any sort of inside information, but the Texas Collegiate League. There's a ton of Texas players who go off to the Cape every summer who are now not going to be in the Cape. So can you keep some of those players local? You can see the temptation on their part to really push to get this thing done because the quality of the league is going to be up. And you could theoretically get away with doing it in a way that's not overly disruptive, at least in theory. Now it's not that simple, but so I'm with you. I see it two ways. I see it there are leagues that are just going to follow suit pretty quickly. Um, there are other leagues in that geographic region. So maybe those leagues could be looked at as ones that, that will kind of follow suit, but there, there, I think there are leagues that are going, this might actually make them a little more aggressive in trying to get this done just from the standpoint that, that you made the economic standpoint primarily, but also just from the standpoint of, well, you know, we have a chance to maybe increase the quality of the league here and shine a lot on our league that we didn't have otherwise. Yeah, and you also have to look at it from where you are in your own region or your own state. You know, the Cape is in Massachusetts, an area that's been harder hit. The Texas League might not, you know, Texas might be ready to reopen a little earlier than a state in the Northeast. And, you know, so all all of these various factors come into play here. And so just because the Cape is called off doesn't mean that summer ball is over. it's certainly not a good sign, but I, I don't expect that the the entirety of summer ball is going to 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 follow suit here. Um, like I said, they all have various complications that they have to work through, and you also, in some ways, have to wonder: is any of this is playing going to be worth it if you can't put fans in the stands? Because if it is a business, like that's the business model. It's it's fans. So if you can't do that, like it's not like they have TV contracts to fall back on. Although honestly, um, maybe they all of a sudden will. Who knows? I don't want to speculate on that. Uh, but you know, the Cape actually does have a TV deal, um, and it doesn't make money off of attendance, and it still did this. So you know, it, th- there are just a lot of different factors coming from around the country where where you have to to look at these uh, th- these leagues independently. Yes, they're doing the same thing effectively, but they all have their own specific circumstances. Um, so today, also to acknowledge the Capes cancellation, it is a Monday, and so we released a, a top 25 as we are doing uh, and committed to doing until we have a chance to release a preseason top 25 next year. And so today's top 25 was the top 25 uh, players in Cape Cod league history. And to do that, we we didn't want to make it just the 25 best baseball players to play in Cape Cod, because basically that would amount to like the 25 best college players over the last 50 years. Um, Like that, that, it's not entirely that simple. There was a time when the Alaska League and the Cape were about even and players from the East tended to go to the Cape and players from the West tended to go to Alaska and whatever. But we wanted to make it more about like what they actually did on the Cape. So we, I went back through since 1963, which is kind of the date of the, the formation of the modern Cape League. Prior to that, there had been an upper Cape League and a lower Cape League. And then in, in 03 or in 63 they merge into one league so since 1963 who the best players in in Cape Cod league history were uh we settled on Jason Veritek number one uh Buck Showalter coming in at number two uh Eric Milton's in the top five Corey Snyder's in the top five there's some there are definitely some remember some guys uh qualities to this list but there are also some like genuine superstars both at the college and professional level uh, I had a lot of fun looking through the history for this. I learned a lot along the way. 
Uh, if you are looking at the list over at baseballamerica.com, one important thing to remember is that the Cape for about a decade did use metal bats. We think of it as a wood bat league today, and it has been since the mid 80s, but there was about a decade where they were letting them use metal. Uh, so some of those stats are pretty lofty during that time period, of course, and probably unmatchable today. Uh, but I didn't want to exclude those players. Managing that was difficult in terms of this, but it was uh, it was an interesting exercise to to go through the the Cape history and and see some of the the great players and who had great seasons there and, and kind of examine them and and line them up in a top twenty five. My big takeaway was what a spring it has been for Jason Veritek on our website. We had <laughs> we we, we watched rewatched the ninety four title game and then did a podcast on it, which amounted in some ways to us asking Oklahoma's Eric Thomas about how awesome Jason Veritek was. And then, you know, we ranked the Golden Spike seasons last week, and he's in the top 10 there. We do a top 25 Cape seasons, and he ends up number one there, or Cape careers, and he's number one there. So big, big, uh, big, big comeback for Jason Veritek into the consciousness of Baseball America. But, you know, if you're making a short list of, of most impactful college players of all time, he is certainly going to be in the conversation. One thing I really liked about this list, I, I uh, you know, you were doing most of the legwork on, on this list, so it was kind of fun for me to to just kind of digest kind of the fruits of that labor and see the list that you had, you had culled together. One of the things that I really enjoyed about it was kind of the, the fact that it runs the gamut. And yes, the Cape, you know, has this illustrious history and, and basically every great college player who's ever played in college has come through that league. So there are some, you know, we do have you know, Frank Thomas and Andrew Miller and, uh, you know, Ron Darling, Mo Vaughn, as I, as I scroll through here, to say nothing of, of you know, Veritek, Munson, Showalter, et cetera. But you've also got some guys who were successful but lesser-known major league players, guys like Dave Bush, for example. Um, on this list, you've also got guys who, you know, had better college careers in some ways and they had pro careers. Uh, you've got guys who really were pop-up. I'm thinking of Mitchell Jordan from Stetson, who had like a nice career at Stetson. Still in the minor leagues as as as, um, as we speak here. He's still working his way through the minor leagues. But, you know, he was someone who was much better on the Cape than he really ever was at Stetson. So kind of interesting to see those types of guys in this list. So this list was a fun way to look at, yes, the Cape can be, a great indicator of who is ready to make that jump into pro baseball and who might shine. But uh, just about anybody who ends up on the Cape can have a great summer. And I think we, we see that on this list that there are some guys who, you know, we, we wouldn't have uh, expected to be there that are there because they just happen to have, you know, a great summer or put a couple, couple good summers together. And, and here they are. I mean, at the end of the day, a Cape season, even if you played from opening day until the start of the playoffs, like full regular season, it's a small sample size. There, there's no way around it. Play like 45 games. I think it's 48, actually. Um, and especially in today's world, if you're a pitcher, like you're, you're, if you're starting, you're throwing once a week and nobody ever really works up past five innings. Like it'll happen everyone every now and again, somebody will throw six, seven, or by some miracle throw a, a CG. But um, most starts on the Cape are four innings, five innings, and then you're out. And there's just no way around this. It's a, it's a small sample. So yeah, you can get guys that, that pop up and, and have legitimately great summers. And I don't want to denigrate their seasons in any way, but like, you know, it, it does allow for, um, you know, certain, some seasons to, to, to occur like that. And uh, it, it, it's an interesting aspect of it that some guys adjust to using wood faster. Some guys adjust to pitching against wood faster. Uh, you know, it, there, there's a lot going on up there. And, you know, the greats, obviously, like Jason Veritek, you know, they, they just are great no matter what you're throwing at them. Uh, but there are some players that, that go up there and, and, find it a difficult adjustment and you know even if they're legitimately really really good players they they just can't get it going up there and i there, there it's uh it's an interesting place and i it is part of the the, the charm i think of, of going through this list is is finding uh you know the, the absolute great players and then also finding guys that like i legitimately didn't know who they were <laughs> like 
there are multiples of those on the list, but they, what they accomplished on the Cape is, uh, you know, it, it truly speaks for itself. And, um, you know, I, I think that that's a, a great sign for the league, both that you can get the great players and they, they can perform greatly, but you can also still have guys who make a name for themselves there or, you know, this is kind of the, the pinnacle of their career. You can see in some of the reaction to this too, I, I've poked around a little bit in the, the Twitter replies for, for when you posted it or when the, the, the Baseball America uh, account, the general account posted it. You, you can see in the replies there a little bit. One of the things that, that's great about the league too is people who are around the league who are from that area or just follow it closely have their guys. So I've seen some names mentioned that aren't names that I recognize, but you look them up and you're like, oh, okay, yeah, this guy was actually a dude on the Cape during this period of time. And so that's one of the fun things too is the Cape does create these types of cult heroes. One of the guys that did make our list is Zane Carlson, who who pitched at Baylor and was great for Chatham for three years. Um, And a three-year Cape career is not – uh, is pretty rare today, especially. I, even historically, it's not common. Like if you doing this, looking back, like I, I thought I was going to see more multi-year careers or something like that. And I didn't like, there's still a lot of guys that just went up there for one summer. Yeah. And so he's a guy who was, a, it was a very good college pitcher. Obviously he was very productive for Baylor. I remember him from when I was a kid uh, as being a very, very good pitcher. Didn't have too much of a pro career, but he's kind of a legend at Baylor and he's a legend with Chatham, you know, so he's kind of this cult hero in a couple of different places, but it's a guy like him who, you know, could be lost to history in a lot of, in a lot of cases, but because he, he brought, you know, brought his game to Chatham and kind of created joy for the people who follow that team or or what have you, he kind of lives on through that, which I think is a pretty cool thing that the Cape provides. Absolutely. The, the, like I said, the volunteers, the local people, the, the host families, they really get into all of this. And it's uh, it's fantastic to see. And it's really unfortunate that we aren't going to get that this year. It's unfortunate I can't go to Ann and Fran's kitchen and you know hang out and eat a very lazy lunch until I go to the field. And um, shout out Ann and Fran's in Yarmouth. Hopefully they, uh, it's, it, right now it's hard to see like who's open and who's not open on the cave, like how this is affecting them because, uh, you know, we're out of season still. So hopefully all of the, the fine establishments out there are able to uh, weather this and, and, and come back in, in 2021 and, and all the rest of that. But uh, it, it is, uh, like I said, it, it's the, this hurts the most for the players. Uh, it really is a golden opportunity and they won't get it this year. Uh, but it, the entirety of the baseball um college baseball community uh, that this, this does impact. So I, I'm, I'm glad that, that all of our listeners who are still listening to this podcast have indulged me. I'm glad that you indulged me, Joe. Um, I, I just love what the league is and uh, I, I, I can't wait to see it back in 2021. All right. So we've, uh, we've gone on pretty long on this podcast. We had some other ideas. We'll get to them later, I think. Uh, but Joe, we will be back here on the Baseball America College podcast on Friday, and we will not be talking about the Cape on Friday. What, why don't you tell the listeners what we will be talking about on Friday? We're going to be rewatching the 2011 College World Series game between South Carolina and Virginia. That was the second game they played against each other that year in Omaha. This was the better one. Uh, and it goes a little long. So like I said in the last podcast, you're going to want to get comfortable when you sit down to watch this one because it's going to go a little late. The, the, the last few that we have, I feel like, have, have really moved pretty well. This one, maybe not quite so much. So we'll, we'll have to see. I have not watched it. There Thank you, record. ACC Baseball. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have not uh, watched it in the recorded version, so I, I don't know exactly how long it is. But it's an extra in game, spoiler alert. So um, it's going to go a little bit long at least. Looking forward to it. It's a fun, we, we talked about this last time, it's just a fun era for South Carolina baseball, obviously. They were in the middle of this just absolutely unbelievable postseason streak, you know, with, with what turned out to be back-to-back national titles. They get to a third national title game in, in, in national title series, as it were, in, in 2012 before, before losing. So they were right smack dab in the middle of this just unbelievable run of success for that program, uh, you know, success that, you know, we, you know, we can talk about this in the next podcast, but it, you know, it kind of 
was very predictable in some ways because of what they had been building there, but also just I think it's the type of thing that could never be replicated ever again by that program or any other because it, there were just a lot of things that, that went right for them beyond just the talent on the field and, and things like that. So looking forward to kind of reexamining, I think in a larger way, reexamining those South Carolina teams kind of through the lens of this 2011 game. So I think it's, it's going to be a fun rewatch for us and our uh, listeners and our readers. And then uh, should be a fun podcast to record on, uh, on Friday. Absolutely. And we will have a guest. Uh, the guest is not uh, fully locked down yet. So we'll, uh, we, w- we will uh, come with a, with a guest on Friday and it'll be a surprise, but uh, maybe we'll, we'll let you guys know who it'll be. Um, you know, once we, uh, get closer to it. So check our social channels for that. Um, I am at Ted Cahill. Joe is at Joe Healy BA. And we will uh, we will be watching the game at some point this week. And uh, hopefully you guys can follow along and let us know if you have any questions uh, you know, about the game or that South Carolina um, team specifically or i guess the the entirety of the the gamecock dynasty there at the the start of the decade and we'll try and get to those on the next edition of the baseball america college podcast make sure to to find that on your favorite podcasting app whether that's apple Podcasts, stitcher spotify anywhere you're listening to podcasts you can find the baseball america podcast Make sure you've subscribed, there it is, Uh, rate, review, any of those things. We we greatly appreciate them. Uh, They they help other people to find the podcast and, uh, you know, let us know uh, what you guys like or uh, how you guys are are listening. So we appreciate all of that. We have plenty of content planned throughout the week leading up to to that podcast on Friday of another edition of the Coaching Confidential series I've been running. On the website, uh, Joe has a, a new series starting today. We're looking at conferences um, over the last five years. We'll, we'll run through them all eventually, starting with the Big 12. can check that out. And uh, if any other news happens uh, throughout the week, obviously, we will get to that as well. The Cape kind of surprised us at the end of last week. Uh, so hopefully we have no more no more surprises like that. But if uh, if they do, or if we do, we'll, we'll have that covered over at baseballamerica.com. So we'll be back here on Friday. We look forward to talking with you then. I want to thank Jeff Trundy again for joining us on the podcast. Thanks to Joe. I've been Teddy. We appreciate you guys listening. We'll talk to you on Friday. <laughs>